Parallel Quest is a podcast of Steel Lake Studio. Please head over to our website, steellakestudio.com, to find out a little bit more about us. And we want to say thank you to all of those who support the show at patreon.com slash Studio. All of our wonderful patrons. If you have any interest in supporting the show, you can head to patreon.com slash Studio, And as a bonus, you'll get access to our short story collection. As of right now, we only have two up, but we think that you'll enjoy them. And it's a little bit of a way to get to know Zach and myself as creators as well as podcasters. So be sure to head over to patreon.com slash Studio, or you can click the link down in the description to get over there really easy. Today's episode of the podcast is about Twilight Zone, one of the most well-known television series ever, and something that brought science fiction into popularity in mainstream culture. We think that you're going to enjoy this conversation. For me, I'm relatively new to the conversation of the Twilight Zone. I've known about it, but actually never watched it myself until recently. And this is something that is beloved and Zach really enjoys and knows a ton about. So we think you're going to enjoy the history, the initial impact, and the stories we have about the Twilight Zone. Enjoy this episode of Parallel Quest. Welcome to Parallel Quest, a podcast where two friends talk about the stories we love and tell the personal stories of the impact they've had on our lives. I'm one of your hosts, Cody Haggard, and alongside, or maybe more accurately said, across the internet from me, my great friend and co-host, Zach Butler. Zach, how are you doing today? Dude, I am doing great, man. I'm excited for today's episode. I don't actually don't know if I'm allowed to do that since I don't know if it's copyrighted. But we all once we introduce it, we'll all know the the theme song that I want to sing. (laughs) Yes, yes. I don't know if I think you'd be allowed to hum it. I think. (laughs) Is it like Happy Birthday where you weren't allowed to say that or sing it technically for a while? Yeah, who knows? If they crack down on us, it's not like it's not like we're making tons of money off this episode anyway. So. Yeah, or um, are we? We are. Yeah, right, right. Actually, the secret is we have, we're getting ten million downloads an episode, making about a hundred thousand dollars a month right now. Yeah, so, so uh, you better hop on the train, <laughs> listener. <laughs> but yeah, I'm excited too, man. Twilight Zone is something that is definitely your expertise, not mine, and I am coming into this as a learner. So I'm really looking forward to talking to you about the Twilight Zone. But tell me a little bit. What's going on in life, man? What's going on with you? What's uh, Tell me a story from your week. So this weekend, we traveled once again. This is like, I feel like every other weekend I'm talking to you about Harrisburg and Lancaster, like where my wife lives. But Yeah, it's family, man. Exactly. But, this, but we're not really out there to visit family. We are kind of on the side, but we're out there because my wife is trying to get this like thing in her arm it's like a birth control thing she's trying to get it out we've been trying to do this for months and months and months and so (laughs) this weekend was the weekend man we were gonna go out there and we were gonna meet with a surgeon and he was gonna take this thing out of her arm and then we were gonna start trying for a family here it was gonna be perfect and actually spoiler alert it did work he got it out of the arm it was a flawless surgery in the office. Didn't have to even go to the hospital or whatever. But along the way, so 
I don't do well with like open wounds or a lot of <laughs> blood, which is kind of weird. I know because I'm a huge fan of horror. I love horror movies and stuff, but that's okay because I know what I'm watching is fiction. And I know right, it's yeah. like, it's, it's, yeah, I just, I know that's not real, but anything in real life, I get really squeamish and I get super lightheaded. <laughs> like if I see a lot of real blood, I will, I'll like my, I'll, I can literally almost have like an out of body experience where like I'm thinking and I'm like, okay, I know I'm getting lightheaded. I can see myself sitting in whatever room I'm in. Like I got to think about something else quickly or else I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to pass out. So <laughs> in this doctor's office, uh, like they're getting, they're prepping Leah and they're getting ready and everything. And I'm in the room because I'm, I'm there in case she passes out and I have to drive her across the street to the hospital because the hospital is across the street. And so I'm in there for moral support and to be her driver. And I tell them a little jokingly, but also seriously, I was like, Hey, I don't do well with like lots of blood. And so they were like, okay, like, are you going to pass out if you see a lot? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I get lightheaded. I'm just telling you, like, I might need to, like, leave or something. They're like, okay, why don't you sit, like, why don't you come over here and you can sit down? And I, they, like, said it jokingly. So I, like, continued to stand next to my wife and they're still prepping her everything. And they're like, you should <laughs> really sit down. I was like, yeah, 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 I'll sit down. And, like I, I don't know why it didn't register, but I just continued to stand there. And then the the surgeon eventually was like, "Sir, you should de- you should sit down. Like if if you pass out and she passes out, we're not gonna know like <laughs> what to do. We're gonna know what to do, but we just don't want two people <laughs> passing out and taking two people over to the hospital." <laughs> and so like I'm sitting down on this little like stool, and he starts the procedure. And I see the initial cut. I don't even see blood. I just see the razor go onto the arm. And immediately my head just like, I start getting lightheaded and like I get clammy and I can tell my heart rate's going up. <laughs> like I'm not even getting surgery. Like Leah's the one getting stuff injected into her arm and cut open. I'm like trying to sit there and be like, okay, you got this. You're doing great. But the whole time I'm like, oh my gosh, I might pass out. <laughs> like not, Your head's starting to feel a little yeah, light, you know? <laughs> exactly. I'm like, I'm not doing well here. So like I had to like turn and like stare at the wall and just like concentrate on my breathing <laughs> as if I'm the one like having surgery. And after a point, like Leah's it's like, she can, she can't feel like, what's going she can't feel pain but she can feel stuff going on in her arm which is extremely gross and uncomfortable and so she's like i can feel them moving in my arm she's like can you like just distract me and i was like oh don't say that like that's like i'm gonna pass out just <laughs> thinking don't about that, that. <laughs> like, so i'm sitting there like trying to distract her but also distract myself with distracting her i'm like okay this is my main purpose now just like focus on distracting her don't focus on what's going on three feet away from me they're like they're before i just see like some blood like on the like the gauze that the the surgeon's using and he's like pulling out stuff i'm just like ah and so eventually <laughs> my nightmare ends 
and he pulls out the thing that he needed to pull out. He's like, all right, we got it. I was like, oh, thank you. Like, you did a great job. And like everyone's side relief, like a huge side relief fell over this, the room. And like he's sewing her up. And I feel like I'm getting sewed up because I'm like, okay, it's over. <laughs> I can I can concentrate again. And so, oh, man. so my oh, wife dude. did great. It was all about her. Great. He was awesome. Nice. She took it like a champ. Didn't great even need painkillers. I was really proud of her. Way to but go. for me, I was like, oh man, if once we have a kid, I'm, I'm probably going to pass out in the, in the birthing room. <laughs> like this is, yeah, I mean, you well probably me. won't pass out, but it's going to be a rough experience for you, my friend. Um, I'm a little yeah. squeamish. I'm a little squeamish as well. So I can empathize with you. Yeah. Um, it's and it, it I would fun. just say, I would just say, um, yeah, just, just. When you get to that point, you know, <laughs> down the road, just uh, just don't pass out. Just don't do it. Sit, <laughs> if you gotta on. sit, if you gotta sit down, sit down, because because they're not gonna, they, yeah. they don't want to deal with you. You know, I will. You're, yeah, I will. You're not listen. the star of that show. <laughs> I will listen to them from now on. Like I knew, now I know. I need to sit down and I need to just stare at a wall. <laughs> read something on the wall just to distract myself because I, even that little tiny cut, I mean, it's like a half inch cut this guy made. And I was like, Oh gosh, like this is, <laughs> this is rough. So that is my, my story, my bloody story. For uh, the weekend. <laughs> I love it. I love the honesty there. And I can totally understand the squeamishness. I actually was watching. Um, I listened to the, I listened to the podcast, the latest podcast from Joe Rogan, where he had David Blaine on there. Mm. and as as i was listening he he was doing some some of his illusions his tricks for joe and there's one where he sticks an ice pick through his arm so oh. of course what what do oh. i do i go to, i go i go to youtube you know when i get a chance to watch and i'm watching it and i i could hardly make it through and i'm oh. like god this is terrible oh, oh. so that his, was rough so i can understand shove an ice pick through his arm yeah, it's not it's not even a trick, dude. He's definitely sticking that ice pick through his arm like oh. um but it's cra is it's crazy. It was nuts. It was nuts. I I would if if you are squeamish, uh it might be tough to get through, but it is fascinating. Like oh. it definitely is fascinating. Like holy cow, that's that's no. bizarre. But Probably uh skip that one, man. Probably I told I that. totally I totally empathize with you, man. Like that uh. is uh that's <laughs> I'm squeamish with that type of stuff too. I don't do well with real blood and injury. Yeah, but. it's not fun, man. <laughs> no, it's not. All right, give it's me a story from your week. I got to stop thinking about this, or I might pass okay, out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Otherwise, it'll be a one man show here. Right. Um, so nothing too exciting happened uh, this past week. I actually spent a lot of time just trying to rest. I did end up fixing the floor in my bathroom, but I'm still nursing this rib injury that i got <laughs> two <sorry>. weeks ago <laughs> but um you know the uh the the funny thing i wanted to tell you last time we recorded uh, and and it it had gotten out of my mind i wanted to tell you the the story about the wendy's guy so mm. it was like a saturday afternoon and my kids were wanting to go to wendy's so bad they're they're wanting to go to wendy's because i think my mom had taken them 
earlier in the week and they had like SpongeBob toys. And that's what gets kids excited. You know, oh, yeah. like I want to, I don't care about the food. I want the toy, right? Like mm-hmm. some dumb like SpongeBob keychain or whatever. Like, why would a kid get excited about a keychain? How many key rings are, are kids tearing around it's with them? From a <laughs> restaurant and it's SpongeBob. That is why. Yeah. It's true. But, you know, they got like the full print, you know, SpongeBob bags and whatever. They're kind of cool looking. I uh, still threw them in the trash, but, uh, yeah. you know, the, we, we go to Wendy's and the line is like forever long. I have no idea what was going on. I don't know why everybody in the world wanted to go to Wendy's. Uh, doesn't make much sense to me, but everyone in the world, at least everyone in Strongsville, wanted to go to Wendy's and get themselves whatever it is you get at Wendy's. Cheeseburger, nuggets, whatever. And, you know, we're just in this line. It just feels like forever. And we finally get our order in. And we are... We're just waiting there, like for our order to come in. And so, what happens is we witness this truck, black truck, like tinted windows. Like you could tell, this is a super nice truck. Mm-hmm. First thing I notice is the the line for Wendy's is going around the parking lot, and I see this truck come. He he's trying to pull a fast one. So since nobody's exiting Wendy's at this point, he comes in the out. He comes in the exit, right? It's a one way, right? But he's going to be that guy who comes in the, <laughs> yeah. in the exit. And he quickly parks his truck by, you know, as close as he can to the door. And <laughs> oh he gets God. out of his truck, takes like two or three steps. And then he like, he realized he forgot something. In my head, my wife and I, you know, we're kind of, you know, commentating this whole thing as it's happening. And I was like, oh, look, that guy, he tried to pull a fast one by cheating the system and he forgot to get his mask before getting out of his truck. And so he goes back to his truck. Yeah, I assume he's going to get his mask or whatever. And uh, then he comes back out, no mask. I'm like, oh, that was interesting. It must have been the wallet. He must have forgot the wallet. And then he gets like super close to the door, a few more steps closer. And then he kind of throws his hands up in the air. And then <laughs> and then he walks. <laughs> walks back and then at that point you know he's in the truck rustling around a little bit at that point there it comes like with the mask but of course he's got it on wrong right one of those guys who puts it over his mouth not his nose Mm -hmm. one of those kinds of guys uh which you know it it, you really got to have it covering the nose for it to work my favorite (laughs) is like the nose and like half over your eyes like they just (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like <laughs> completely goofy it's usually guys with big beards and they just look like they're wearing like a mask like on their just like smack dab in the middle of their face <laughs> it's uh this guy he's he's walking to the door and then and then he stands in front of the door for a while and, and he like yanks on it the door is clearly locked and and then he's like looking around i think he's waiting for somebody to come and like let him inside and he, at this point, he was very determined that he was going to get his Wendy's. This man and wants he, his Wendy's, yeah. He walked back to his truck and was about to get in the truck, but I I think he was going to give it one more shot. And then he walks back to the door, and, <laughs> and I don't know what he was doing there. He's there for a while. And so he's there for a while just kind of hanging out, doing whatever. I think he's waiting just for an employee to come and let him in. Doesn't happen. And then, lo and behold like every other place in the planet, the dine-in service is not open. It's drive-thru only, right? <laughs> so, so this guy was trying to pull a fast one oh. the whole entire time. And and to his credit, he at least fully committed. He left he committed the right three way. Times. Three he, times. He at, least, he at least left going out the right way. 
Um, and then he he pulled in. And he got in the drive-through line. <laughs> Were there no signs up or anything? Because as as a person working in the fast food industry, we have signs up all along the front of our building saying "Dine-in is closed, employees only, do not enter, stay outside," and we still love to serve you. But we will still get people that will open the door that says there's probably 17 signs that say do not enter employees only do not enter employees only and they'll still come inside and be like all right are you guys open for carry out like right do you see anybody else walking in here like do you read they're like oh okay i was just making sure and then they'll walk back out it's like okay not right. everybody's that lazy, okay? The oh, drive-through line is long because that's all we got, okay? Oh, man, uh, I have stories and stories, but they're not always the nicest ones. But they, <laughs> but, but man, I can't like people like that guy. It's just like, dude, like take the hint, get in line. <laughs> you're, you're trying to pull a fast one, ain't gonna work, man. Like you gotta, <laughs> gotta do this the old-fashioned way. You gotta wait in line to get your baconator. <laughs> Frosty. <laughs> and the thing is is that it's like the total it, the first impression was was kind of the part that really got me laughing because he came in the exit and i cannot stand when people <laughs> oh, do dude, i can't stand when people do that um yep. when when they go in the exit or just do something where it's like you know i'm the most important person on the planet like i hate that kind of stuff when people do that when they're driving and oh, yeah <laughs> And I just remember just saying to my wife, like, ah, oh, Haas, look at this guy. Look at this clown coming <laughs> in the exit. And then when he got, when he wasn't able to get in, I was secretly like sitting there like, yeah, that's what you get, guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, my guess is there might not have been a sign on the door that he was going in because that wasn't the primary entrance. Because remember, he went in the exit. So then he was kind of going up to mm. that secondary auxiliary door. Maybe there was a sign up. I don't know. <laughs> And maybe he just thought, you know, because he had a big truck in a in a blue polo that, you know, they'd let him in. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know the big truck, blue polo, you know, frat house jacket. I, you know, I, I don't know what he was trying to there pull you there. Go. But oh. you're a fraternity guy. I don't, I don't mean to joke on the. Yeah, guys. yeah, easy there, bub. Uh, yeah, we at least you... use the entrance. <laughs> right. <laughs> we'll still go uh, check buildings like he did, but we'll use the entrance. <laughs> We're civilized. Uh, but yeah, that's my story from the week. I that's just great. wanted to uh, just share that. It was from and from it's about Wendy's. 10 days I mean, ago. come on, it's you're Wendy's, not missing yeah. out on too much. It's okay. Yeah, right. Yeah, go over to Chick Fil A, get yourself some <laughs> that's real right. food. That's right. That's the plug here. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, definitely. do you want to tell the people about uh, what we have over at Steel Lake Studio before we get will- into our main stuff here? I would love to. I would love to. See, guys, what we got to do here, we got to do some business. We got to do some housekeeping type of stuff. But we're going to keep it interesting and short. We would love for any and all of you to head over to steellakestudio.com and just at least check out our website. Take a few minutes to check it out. You can see some of the stuff we're doing over there. Well, you know, we've got Parallel Quest episodes, our back catalogs up there if you haven't subscribed already wherever you're listening to podcasts you can listen over there we prefer you to subscribe on a podcast platform it's the best way to stay updated but if you head over there what you can also do is you can subscribe to our mailing list which is a which is going to be our primary way of getting our newest releases out and that's going to be stuff we'll keep you updated on 
podcasts that are coming out, stories that are coming out. We're going to be working on on other projects in the future, and we're going to push them all through our email list first. So that's going to be the place you're going to want to sign up. It's really easy. You can go to steellakestudio.com slash email, or if you're on steellakestudio.com, it's the email form at the bottom of the page. Very, very easy. And another thing that uh, we we just want to want to share is that if you have any interest in supporting the show, if you find that uh, this is of value to you and you'd like to support the show, you can do so over at patreon.com. It's patreon.com slash Studio, or you can go to steellakestudio.com slash Patreon. Links are provided in the description down below. And any and everything helps. You know, we do have costs in running this operation, uh, but we ultimately do it to serve you, to give you, the listener, the best experience possible. And if you find value in that, you'd like to support the show, we will highly appreciate that, and you'll get some pretty good stuff in return over there at patreon.com. But yeah, if you guys get a second uh, to head over to any of those links, all of those will be in the description of the episode, the episode notes, so that you don't have to remember them. You can just click them uh, in the app that you're using, and we would love that. And yeah, that's that's basically it. But I'm going to give you an opportunity, Zach, of giving just, just a minute or two to talk about your latest release that's going to be coming up here soon that people are wanna gonna want to be paying attention to. Yeah, so I am going to be releasing my first novel coming out this October. Um, the date is yet to be set in October, but it is going to be officially the month of October, just before Halloween, which is very fitting to my story. Um, it is a middle grade uh, story, so we're looking at the age of nine to twelve. Um, some of the early readers, but for all ages, for those who love Goosebumps, it's very much in that vein. Um, it's a fun, at times maybe a little scary, but just a fun adventure story about a boy who he goes to the fair one day, and this boy is short, and he just wants more than anything to be tall, more than anything in the world. He just wants to be bigger than even his youngest brother is bigger than him. He just wants to be taller and bigger than him. And so he meets one day at the fair, the fantastic Mr. Nigel, who is too good to be true. He is able to give people anything that they want. And so he bestows upon our main character something that allows him to grow. But there are some unintended consequences and an adventure that follows that decision. So Look for that coming out um, in the in October. The title is still working, so I don't want to give it away just yet. But that's a little preview of what the story is going to be about. So if you have some younger, early readers in that 9 to 12 age, those middle grade readers, it'd be a great story for them. Um, it will be released on Kindle. And we are also going to be working on the audiobook version of it. So look yeah, for yeah. that to be coming out as well. So October be on the lookout. I will be getting you guys the title for that here um, probably in the next few episodes. So, Yes, yeah. very nice. And one thing that I will, will say is that having gotten about halfway through it, the uh, this book would be a perfect book to read, maybe around a campfire, bonfire, kind of like those nighttime spooky stories it's 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 definitely appropriate for kids it's like a fun scary story you know not not going to give nightmares or anything like that but just spooky enough to where 
a nice little campfire story. I think it's perfect for that setting and that time of year. So I can say Thank I think it'll be highly enjoyed. Yeah, and that is and that is what I'm going for with these stories is don't want to give your kids nightmares. I just want to scare the pants off of them, you know. Just want to have, <laughs> have fun, tell them a good story. And I want to give a shout out to all the beta readers out there, those that are reading this as the rough draft. I know it's rough. Um, I've been through it a bunch of times, but it hasn't been copy edited or structurally edited all the way through yet. So I really appreciate you guys um, taking the time just to, to read it and give some feedback. It means a lot. So we're going to move on here, Cody, to a, a segment of the podcast that I really enjoyed. And I've been getting a, some feedback about other people really enjoying it. But okay. Okay. a while back during our Matrix episode... You asked me 10 questions, and I had a lot okay. of fun thinking about those and answering those. And to I kind of knew it at the time, but now I know it more that the answers I gave would have some consequences and some <laughs> conversations coming up later once that episode was released. And so I'm now dealing with that since the Matrix episode, as of this recording, has been released. So I've been kind of talking through some things with some people. So it was fun and I, I really enjoyed it. So I wanted to ask you 10 questions as well. All right. So this one, we don't have to go super, super fast through them, but it does help. But there's some of them that I kind of want you to take your time and just think about. And we okay. can maybe okay. discuss real quickly before getting into our main topic. So All right. you ready? I am ready. All right. So we're going to start off with a softball here. Okay. Pepperoni or cheese pizza? pepperoni very good steak or chicken steak oh all right all right if you had to live the rest of your life with wacky flailing arms or googly eyes which one would it be oh man i'd probably go wacky flailing arms because at least from the standpoint of like if i wanted to be an entertainer i think that could go a lot further than googly eyes would that just be your whole act just up there flailing? exactly like the uh the i'd try and i'd probably try and learn like magic tricks i'd be like the flailing armed magician or something like that you know It would make your job extremely difficult, I feel like. <laughs> but I feel like googly eyes would just be too... That'd be too distracting. You yeah, know, you'd out, be of, out of... rolling your head things. around all the time. <laughs> just... <laughs> trying to focus in. All right, so wacky flailing arms, good. All right, number four. One franchise disappears forever. So you got to okay. choose one. The other one is gone from memory. It's making me nervous. Harry Potter or... Uh-huh. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Oh, gosh. Well, here's the deal, guys. Um, Harry Potter. Oh, gosh, dude. Oh. Uh, you can take I would your time st- with this one. This one's tough. <laughs> I would pick Harry Potter to stay. That's It's hard for me to say. Oh. But I think Harry Potter just... If... if Narnia was lost forever, at least at this point in time. I don't think it's nearly as like popular. Although, who knows? I mean, it, you put me in a tough spot. I'm picking Harry Potter. I'm sticking with it. Okay. <laughs> Harry, I think you appeased a lot of our fans that we just did the Harry Potter episode a little while back. So I think you made them happy there. But that is true. Line the Witch in the Wardrobe. For us, when we were younger, that was it kind of made that resurgence because they made all the movies and everything. 
and here's what I'll say about the Narnia series. I like C.S. Lewis a lot, but I would say that The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is is by far and away the superior story in the in all of the Chronicles of Narnia. It's just very good. But as far as an entire series, I think Harry Potter is a better entire series than Narnia. Right. <clears throat> I, I agree. I agree. I would... Oh, well, this isn't for me, so this is for you. You chose Harry Potter. <laughs> All right, number five, Pixar or DreamWorks? Oh, jeez. Um, Pixar. Pixar. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it's. Uh, it. I could. I don't think I could live in a world where Toy Story no longer exists. That'd be tough, man. Mm, mm. Yeah, but Shrek. How to Train Your Dragon. Although I don't know, I've, I've I've only seen the first How to Train Your Dragon, but I've, I'm a huge fan of Shrek. But I I agree. I think I would go with Pixar. Pixar, yeah, man. All right, number six. Who would win in a fight, the Terminator or John Rambo? Oh, Terminator for sure. Terminator. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Wait, wait. So you're saying that? Okay, so. Sarah Connor. Have you seen the Terminator? Uh, she beats the Terminator, man. Yeah, whatever. I, I'm picking the Terminator, dude. Oh, jeez. I don't know. I'm surprised. That one actually surprised me. I thought you'd go with Rambo for sure. <laughs> no way, dude. Terminator. Oh, man. All right, number seven. What? Now, this is kind of an open-end question. There's no A, B, A answer, B answer. Number seven. What? movie should be erased from history okay this is up to you that's the end that's the end of the question oh <laughs> open-ended open what movie what movie should just be erased from just, history what movie should just wow. be completely erased from wow. the history of movies um geez this is this is tough i'm gonna try and think of just a really bad adaptation um oh okay i mean uh, there's some some pretty awful adaptations. There's also just some pretty awful original ideas. So yeah, you've got you've got kind of a, a trying to large think swath of films. I maybe I should have should have narrowed it down to a genre. Yeah, this no, it's okay. I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna pick one, and I'm you know what? I might pick one to intentionally just you know rub people the wrong way let's get a see rise can, out of someone let's see if i can think of something good here it's got to be something something that'd get some people decently ticked off um let's see or maybe i shouldn't do that i shouldn't be a saboteur <laughs> oh man this is this is a tough choice I, i'm trying to think of just a movie that really really disappointed me just really rub oh. i mean we talked about one last week yeah. Oh, I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. I don't know if this qualifies as the movie that should be deleted out of all movies, but the uh, the second Anchorman movie was an embarrassment. Oh. <clears throat> yes. it was an embarrassment to the franchise. I I I and maybe it was because I got older and that comedy kind of wore off on me. But I just mm. I just didn't think it was good whatsoever. Erase that movie. The first one didn't need a sequel. Dude, I wonder, like, because Anchorman now is still really funny to me. And a lot of those slapstick humor movies of our childhood are still really funny to me. But I wonder, 
what because I never asked my parents, but I wonder what my parents thought of those movies. Did they think they were funny or were they just literally to us they'll always be funny because we thought they were funny when we were 12, 13 years old? Yeah, I, I'm gonna say that like there's there is the nostalgia effect um that you can't get over. I think there's always gonna be those memories that are triggered. Um but I don't know. I don't know, man. It, it's tough because I just tried to watch Spaceballs recently and I wasn't laughing at it as much as I did when I was younger. That's uh, so funny. <laughs> it is. It's it's super funny. But I was like, oh, you know, maybe it kind of wore off. Um, yeah. Yeah. I can see As that. well as I think I think that Mel Brooks has, has movies that are far funnier than Spaceballs as well. Yeah. Have but, you ever had a movie hyped up to be so funny by a friend? And then you watch it and you find that it's not that funny, but you got to laugh along anyways, because your friend is dying laughing next to you. Not that exact experience, but we actually had this same experience somewhat together because remember when we rented super bad on the recommendation of like everybody on the planet, because everyone said it was so funny. Mm -hmm. And I remember watching and being like, it's not that funny. Like it just, no, it wasn't my it wasn't my kind of sense of humor and it, which is funny because i you know seth rogan's writing i really like in in um like pineapple express i think is hilarious but mm. for some reason super bad just kind of fell flat on me dude but it's so quoted that's the thing like people yeah love that movie they do a ton of people love that movie and i think maybe part of it is because like it was a really relatable story for your typical high school kid of mm. that time because it was kind of like this comedic rendition of being the outcast who wanted to fit in and it does just kind of like make fun of that popularity culture in a a pretty you know you know heavy-handed way yeah but uh but yeah it just I don't know I wasn't your average high schooler it didn't it didn't hit me as funny as it did for most mm. but Hmm. yeah it's kind of how i felt do you remember do you remember when we watched it like yeah I no we... i do i enjoyed it and i still i mean i've watched it probably four times in my life and like i laugh at some parts i don't i don't think i've ever it takes a lot to make me audibly laugh in a movie or a show like the office makes me audibly laugh but mm -hmm. super bad just it i liked it because it was a fun movie and it was it was funny but it, I thought it, it captured what it was like to be a senior and going to your first party. Like, I thought it captured mm -hmm. it pretty well. Like, I was yeah. like, okay, that's that's an accurate rendition of it. And that's probably how all these characters would feel. And that's what yeah. I appreciate. It was very, uh, it adolescence was captured very well in that movie. Yeah, yeah. I think that's I, what I appreciated. I agree. And I might even enjoy it more, like, retrospectively. Like, I kind of, I went through this stage where probably, like, freshman year of college, senior in high school, where I was kind of, like, stick-up-my-butt kind of character. Like, it wasn't, you know, I was really okay. serious, like, super fundamentalist type of guy. Okay. Um, And I feel like I, I loosened up a little bit after that. Yeah. Um, went, went through this phase where I was like, ah. I'm Bible master now. I can't laugh at, at certain things. And, <laughs> and just then you realized, watch Pineapple Express. You're like, that's that's funny. And then just realized life wasn't quite that fun. You know what it was? It wasn't Pineapple Express. It was I started watching Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> and it, uh, 
<laughs> corrupted me. <I> guess. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what a great show. Oh gosh. Oh, so many good episodes of that show. Holy cow. What, oh. I, you know, it's funny. We were talking about, uh, with a couple of friends, I was talking about this with Josh and then my other buddy, Sean, about what the funniest show is. And, uh, one of them said scrubs and I did not agree with that mm. whatsoever. Good show. Uh, not the funniest. Yep. Not the funniest. Um, and then another said the office, which I could get more on board with that, mm. but I didn't think of it until just now. I personally think that always sunny might be <laughs> the funniest show, uh, that we've seen in our lifetime. Just my opinion. Wow. And, and it's a really acquired, it's a really acquired sense of humor, but it's, it, it hits the nail on the head on so many things um, that it just kind of, it just, for me, it's this exploration of human nature that what if every person really lived out their dumbest ideas? And that's always sunny, you know, like if, if a group of friends legitimately did all the dumbest ideas that came to mind and it never worked out for them. See, the thing is, is shows like Friends, for example, they were always doing dumb things, but were always happy in the end. Whereas Always Sunny is like the antithesis of that. Like they're yeah. always doing dumb things and then they're always worse off because of it. And they it's hate each other more. <laughs> it's yeah. Just, it's so funny. It is. Yeah. It is a funny show. I actually love that show. My wife hates Always Sunny. She cannot stand it, which is kind of a bummer because it's, it's one of, it was one of my favorite shows. I don't watch it. I mean, I don't even know if it's still on anymore, but I watched it up to like season five or whatever. But I always the first few show or few seasons of it, I was always dying. Like the characters are just so depraved. They're just like oh, yeah. always just out for themselves. And they're so funny. So oh, yeah. funny. But I actually I to me, dude, the funniest one of the funniest shows I've ever seen is Arrested Development. Okay, I've never finished that show. Oh, dude, I love it's witty, and I think the reoccurring jokes in it just get me. Like it's one of the shows where, like, a joke made in the first episode is going to be coming back in season three, episode five, and they just like it builds and builds and builds and makes it even funnier. And I just I really appreciate that that kind of dedication to a joke. Yeah, but, Will uh, Arnett is so funny in that show. Oh, he's he just, hilarious. He, and, he slays, uh, man. He's so David funny. Cross, man. Dude, as to, to, Tobias. <laughs> just so many funny jokes. But, okay. Yeah. Off track, but we're back on track. Question number eight. All right, this one. Oh, we're still in the questions. We're still quite, Dude, that, that was, was seven, the, dude. I thought, I thought that was the last question. My it's bad. all right. No, it's it, that was seven. Now, if you, listeners, if you have an opinion on what you think is the fun, which I'm sure you have. What is the funniest show that you have seen? Let us know at steelakestudio.com. Drop us a line, email us because I know some people that would say that like third rock from the sun is the funniest. And I don't find that funny at all, but I will. I want to know. I want to know what people think is the funniest TV show of our time. All right. Oh, I just want to say a quick interjection here. With that, if you think Seinfeld is the funniest show of all time, please explain to me why, because I still don't get it. <laughs> I still don't get it. I'm not knocking Seinfeld. I think it is appropriately, you know, it is, it is, it is funny. But people who say it's the best sitcom of all time, I, I need an explanation. I like need a rundown, like a paragraph of why, so I can better understand. Because I don't. Mm. I. 
Ooh, this is gonna be bad. I've never really seen it. I've seen episodes. I I don't get it either, but I've also my sample size is like four episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I just I just want an explanation why. And I might have to check it out. I will check it out for myself at some point, but too much stuff on the plate right now. But I'll get there. <laughs> All right. You have your homework, audience. Now, number eight for Cody. Um, this one's gonna be tough for you. Okay. So I'm gonna lay it out here. Yikes. Fellowship of the Rings. Okay. The two towers. Mm-hmm. Return of the King. You can only keep one of the Lord of the Rings books for the people to read for the rest of history. Oh, jeez. Which one is it? Oh my goodness. My my inner Tolkien expert is is uh raging right now. And they to also preface this they do pick up right where the book starts so it's not like they have <laughs> previous knowledge so this is just the, the this is the book and they're like okay this is what is written by tolkien this is all i have to read gonna have to go with fellowship of the ring it's the only one that could stand on its own oh it's, it's such a classic o- it's so good and actually it is my favorite one in the entire trilogy but really but at the same time, you know, the beginning of the journey is enjoyable because you know how it's going to end. Ah, oh, it's, it's so hard to choose. But yeah, Fellowship's the only one that could really legitimately stand on its own. But the world exploration of the other two is fascinating. Oh, man, I don't know. I love Hobbit, so we're going Fellowship. <clears throat> Hobbit, Fellowship, got it. Fellowship, to me, has the most iconic scenes in Lord of the Rings. Moria, man, is my favorite, my favorite setting. I think out of all of the books, people, when they think of Lord of the Rings, the images they think of come from the first book or the first movie. So I I agree. Yeah. It's just, it's got so many cool characters and that's when you get to meet all of them and everything. So I, I would, I would agree with that. All right. Number nine. Here we go. It's your first day as the chosen one. Congrats. Nice. Obi-Wan Kenobi, Morpheus, and Mr. Miyagi approach you to be your wise trainer. Which one do you choose? You can only choose one of them. And they're going to be your wise sage and trainer as you become the chosen one. Obi-Wan, man. Going Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah, and then when I betray him later in life, he can tell me, But you were the chosen one! (laughs) Uh, I'll that, live for that's that moment. so fitting yes <laughs> you're not gonna do mr miyagi i mean wax on wax off like you know build him a deck all that i good would stuff. i would say out of all of those it seems like morpheus was the the fastest moving and getting you going mm. um miyagi is just boring and <laughs> Obi-Wan, you get a stinking lightsaber, dude. So we're going with the lightsaber, man. Well, hold up. You don't guarantee a lightsaber with Obi-Wan. Like hey. he's already given it to Luke. So you're you're coming, you're the chosen one after Luke. Well, he'll yeah. We'll figure it out. I'll take his. <laughs> You'll take okay. Wait, how am I after Luke? He's wait a minute. So I don't even get like young Obi-Wan. I get no, like get old man. Ghost form Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oh, this hold on. That was in the details here, Zach. I didn't know this. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, so which yeah. Obi-Wan would you take? Young Obi-Wan, old like, Obi-Wan, like, or ghost like Obi-Wan? Clone, 
Yeah, prequels Obi Wan, you know, and then I get to train with him for a long time. Prequel Obi Wan. Yeah. Uh, I'm the chosen one, so I'd be taking the place of Anakin. Th- okay. Oh, well, then you're you're destined to become Darth Vader. No, I'm not. <laughs> okay. Anakin had no reason to cut off Mace Windu's arms. I mean, it just didn't make any sense. Uh, a lot know. didn't make sense in the first three. Okay, <laughs> a lot didn't make sense. We're, we're not going to go into all that here. No, no. But we're, <laughs> but we're not going. Yes, it, a lot didn't make sense to me. Yeah, but I can't believe you just dissed me at Mr. Miyagi like that, man. Like, here's the thing: he has mystical powers. That guy, like, he's a wizard. And when he claps his hands together and he starts doing his little like work on Danielson. And he fixes his leg like that guy. To me, I, I might I might have gone with him, man, Mister Miyagi. No, dude, dude. Okay, so this is a problem. This is a problem with storytelling. Okay, like we always romanticize the heroes. The reality about heroes is that oftentimes they, you know, they come up because because they're the the person who followed the one that nobody else wanted to follow. You probably would have gone to Cobra Kai, dude. I'm just saying, like. I'm like, a that's huge where, Cobra Kai fan, but I'm also a huge Slytherin fan. So this that's this where it was a at. Team like, in my life that I would have yes, <laughs> I would have been fighting you know? Daniel, but I wouldn't have gone after him with a stupid crane kick. Like, dude, just I'd be like, what are you doing? Like, I'll just wait oh, hey, for you to come fight me. Let me ask you this question. This might be a little personal, but where's your gym membership at? So I currently belong to the Oxford Club. The Oxford Club. Okay, so. That seems like is that's definitely not a big chain, okay? No, so it is not. It's okay. not so a big maybe, chain. Maybe you would go with Miyagi. I don't know. What are you saying? I if mean, I would have done a big chain, it would be Mr. Miyagi. If I would have done no, like if you'd, Planet if you'd, Fitness. If you'd, yeah, if you were a Planet Fitness guy, you're totally in Cobra Kai, man. Like, oh, okay. No, I see what you're saying. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, no, I don't, I don't but, do that that chain stuff, man. You know that chain stuff? Mm-mm. All right. <laughs> so you're going with... Prequel Obi Wan. Come on, Obi Wan would be a great, a great trainer. It's he's not bad. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say that. He's a, he's a good trainer. All right, number ten. Final question here. Which genre would you want to wake up tomorrow stuck in for 24 hours? Stuck in for okay. Which I'm genre ready. would you want to be stuck in? Fantasy. Okay. Steampunk. Okay. Romantic comedy. Interesting. Do I get to pick what role I play in the romantic comedy? Um, you are the goofy best friend. Uh, okay, okay. I think I'd go steampunk because I mean, so much fun. You know, I'd I'd try and roll around on some steam robots, and I'd get to take a a train and uh, put on weird goggles. Now, would Maybe. you want to be in like anime steampunk, or would you want to be in like a, a live action steampunk? Because I feel like you can do a lot more in anime steampunk. It's true, but I would want to be in like a live action. I want I want to be in a technologically advanced Wild West. That's what I want. Like Westworld kind of Wild West, or I don't know. I never I've never seen Westworld. Oh but my gosh! Basically, I want you know what I'm imagining here is that I have some like mechanical clothing. Obviously, I have the goggles because everyone in steampunk has goggles for some reason or another. A um, 
an early version of a motorbike you know okay um, yep you need your transportation steam-powered motorbike Mm -hmm. and um and i just you know i want to ride a uh a really fast train in the steampunk world (laughs) and i want to uh, shoot robot bandits so okay if i could pull that off you know i'd like to save a farm that's getting raided by robot bandits with my um, mechanical revolver arm. You know, one of my arms has to be a Ah, uh, yes, yeah, yeah. You have to have some some abnorm- abnormality about you. Yeah, 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 yeah. I-, I want it to be a fully automatic revolver, even though that's, like, not a thing. That's what I want. I want okay. it to look like a revolver and be fully automatic. So are we talking Wild Wild West, Will Smith, kind of steampunk? <laughs> Gosh, that's a terrible comparison. Uh <laughs> Like a good, like a good version of that. Yeah. How is that a terrible? Okay. Good. I feel like good it's the only attempt at like Western <laughs> steampunk that we have. I know it's such a bad. Pulled it off terribly. All right. Well, you did well, man. Congratulations! Right. You, you made it through the ten questions. Made it through. The audience is dying to hear us to talk about the yes. Twilight Zone, so. I guess we better right. move on. You are here for the Twilight Zone. Zach, lead us on into the Twilight Zone. The Twilight Zone. Cue the music. You can all play it in your heads. <clears throat> here we go. So, the Twilight Zone was first aired in 1959. and Or 1958, I'm sorry. Well, let's back up. I've already messed it up. 1957 we're going to start in the good good old year of 1957 and that is when we have a young man named rod sterling he is serling serling yep s-e-r-l-i-n-g it might sound like i'm saying a t but i don't it's that d to s that makes it sound like it's sterling rod serling mm-hmm. um he is he's a man who's who was before his time he really was. And you texted me earlier this week, Cody, and said you had been doing some research and you were like, Rod Sterling was a man before his time. I was like, mm-hmm. yep, he absolutely was. So he was a pretty prominent figure in the 1950s and he was pretty frustrated with how television was doing things. Back in the 50s, we didn't have the uh, freedom, I guess you could call it, uh, that we have today where tv shows and movies and commercials they can all kind of say whatever message they want to say no matter what the topic is um in the 50s there was a little more a little more censorship with things um it was the yeah. the, good, the good old days and so rodman as he was called um he uh he didn't like how things were going and he wanted to kind of push the boundaries of of what was going on in culture. And so he had an idea in 1957 to, to air a show or a, uh, an episode of a show of a series called the time element. And it was, a uh, uh, episode he'd been working on for a while. Um, he wanted to take, he was a huge fan of pulp fiction magazines and he wanted to take Pulp Fiction and the culturally relevant issues such as like race, war, government, society, kind of all the big things we're dealing with every 
year. Um, and he wanted to take those two things and combine them into the story form and give a message and tell a story through that. And so he real written, quick, Zach, real quick, yeah. real quick, because our audience spans a bunch of different ages. I don't want to undermine anybody's knowledge, but maybe just explain what Pulp Fiction is. Cause I feel like a lot of people will relate it to the Quentin Tarantino movie, but, yes. but it, it's it's kind of a genre that's was very popular early, but um, we don't really refer to it the same way anymore. Correct. Yeah. No. This that's a good point. So pulp magazines. Um, so pulp it got its name from the material it was printed on. Um, it was like this cheap paper, um, and they were made back in the day. I don't honestly I don't know when they started, but they were they were huge, um, especially in the the forties and fifties. Um, and they were usually like, I don't want to say trashy, but they were like kind of low brow stories. They were yeah. just quick stories that like, uh, fan fiction would be today. Just mm -hmm. something real quick, something real easy to write that doesn't have a lot of depth to it. It's just like, bam, here's a story. And so they're often because they were just these, uh, I, because they were sometimes they were good stories, so I don't want to say that they were terrible, but it was just like they they weren't like super well thought out, and so the the producers of these magazines wanted to make them as quickly as possible and put them out as much as possible, so they had to print them on cheaper paper than that glossy finish magazine. So they started to be called pulp magazines, and so pulp fiction became pretty associated with those magazines and it was usually um a little gruesome there a lot of horror stories that would be written on or for pulp magazines a lot of like grungy mm -hmm. sci-fi was written for pulp magazines um if you ever see a picture of usually like this damsel in distress like with blonde blonde hair and like there's some monster like holding her or like lurking in the background and it's like these real bright colors and like the text is like yellow and dripping. That's usually a pulp magazine. Yeah. And so he was Rod Serling, S-E-R-L-I-N-G, Serling was, <laughs> I know it sounds, I can hear myself saying it. Um, he was really into those. And I can relate with Rod because I really like those kind of stories. Um, mm -hmm. To me, the closest things to those now are kind of, like the indie publishing realm. Um, there's a lot of free stuff out there that indie publishers and indie writers put out. And I eat that up because I love just give me a good story. I just want a story. Mm -hmm. I don't really, sometimes I don't want to think about socioeconomic like trends and like real deep human moral struggles. Like I just want a good fun story. And that's what pulp stories and pulp magazines were all about. And so, and they were really catchy. I think people really latched onto them because the, first of all, the, the, the genre that they were written in was usually like horror or science fiction and people liked that escapism. Um, but they also liked the fact that it was just a fun story. And so Rod Serling really enjoyed those. Um, so he's kind of had that sitting in his brain ever since he was a little kid. And so in 57, he wrote the, the time element. Um, before that, 
he was trying to get into television. Um, mm-hmm. A big thing that he wrote was uh, it was called a Requiem for a Heavyweight. And what he was really frustrated, and this kind of just paints a picture of the 50s right here, is in his television play, Requiem for a Heavyweight, he had the line, got a match. And that line had to be taken out of the of the play because the company that was sponsoring the movie or was like a producer of the movie sold lighters. And so they're like, well, we can't yeah, have people. That's so dumb. I know. So like, but that was happening all the time in the fifties where if you were aligned with a certain brand or a certain company and they sold a specific thing, you as an artist couldn't say anything or write anything or produce anything that was the opposite of that because they would see that as, well, you're telling the audience to go, in this case, get matches, but we sell lighters, and you can see how we're going to lose money there. So he was becoming really frustrated with that. And I don't – do you think we have – I mean, do you think that happens today in in films and television and commercials? Um, I, I don't think that so much happens today as much as um, – I mean, you're just seeing a lot of product placement in films – which has been happening for a long time. That's been happening since the 80s. Um, But I don't think there's so much of that happening. What we're dealing with now is is cancel culture, which is not necessarily the same thing, but the fact that if you take a certain stance on something, people will just come after all your advertisers, Mm. right? You know, like that's kind of crappy. Your Um, advertisers and your career. Yeah, so people are more people are more concerned about shaming someone over their morals and political ideals than their story crafting, I would mm. say, or their craftsmanship. But yeah. yeah, I don't think I don't think the world's quite that petty, but but you know, it's kind of interesting as I was researching this too is that um, you know, Rod Serling had a frustration with with radio and radio drama which I find to be kind of funny because as as I've talked about many times on this podcast, you know, you kind of turned me on to Gene Shepard mm. and I've been studying him a lot and he was really successful through like the 60s with his type of stuff, mm. um, kind of post, post Rod Serling seeing the decline. And then I recently, um, I recently listened to a radio program of, of Gene Shepard talking about leaving radio and then kind of airing all of his grievances with why radio <laughs> kind of oh, sucked. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of funny that I think a lot of a lot of radio performers um, probably dealt with this this struggle, this frustration. Yeah. And and television was was definitely the future. Um, mm. Sadly, because I think that I think there's an art of audio that. Personally, this is just my personal opinion. The audio medium gets people to pay attention um, to the details a little bit more, whereas the visual medium, you might not necessarily walk away quite as strongly with the theme, which is why I like how the Twilight Zone always incorporated the narrator. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But Hmm. anyway. That's interesting. Random thoughts there. (laughs) No, all good. Um, So... We are on to 1957. I know I said 1959, but we got to go back to 57 because that's when Serling wrote 
first wrote the time element. And the time element, for purposes of just what CBS saw in it, um, it's about a man who dreams of returning to Honolulu in 1941 and is trying to warn people about the impending Pearl Harbor attack. Did I say 51? I meant 41. I don't know what I said there. I think 41. Um, yeah. But they're, they're, so this guy goes back in time. Every time he falls asleep, he returns to 1941 just before um, Pearl Harbor, and he has to try and warn everybody about it. And he goes and sees this therapist, and the therapist is like, well, I don't know if I believe you, but let's just talk through it. And while he's at the therapist, um, he ends up falling asleep on the couch and returns to 41 and ends up getting shot and killed. And then the shot uh, in the, in the show returns to the therapist's office and you see this guy like disappear. And so that to in 1957 was like, Oh my gosh, this is like groundbreaking. This is crazy stuff we're working with here. And so Serling wanted to take the genre of sci-fi, which is the, the time element has a lot of those elements to it, like time travel and stuff like that. He wanted to take sci-fi and he wanted to tell moral stories through them. And then, and for those, for our older audience, Twilight Zone is chock full of moral stories. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to not watch one without some point being made, which is, I think, why it is so well loved for the or in the twilight zone community um because he really wanted to tell those like moral stories that combined the the issues of race and war and government and society oh yeah so he thought he could get away and the reason why he chose sci-fi um is because he thought he could get away with some of the more taboo subjects of the time because Mm -hmm. if he were to actually produce something that was directly dealing with one of those issues. It wasn't like we just talked about the fifties. They wouldn't even let you say, got a match if your company sold lighters. So he wasn't going to get away with talking about like racism or war in the fifties. And so he decided, you know what? Sci-fi I think is a great avenue and a great genre to tell these stories and to get my point across. That's going to get underneath the networks like censorship. Um, networks saw this and were like, okay, like people like, this is just a story. It even tricked them. They were like, yep, these are stories. You're good to go. We'll just write those. So we get, we have the time element and do you know what happened to the time element? The time element wasn't that I, I thought it was like the pilot episode of, of the twilight zone. Mm-hmm. you know and then was renamed like they they kind of picked up the twilight zone for sin you know to make into a show because the the time element did really well yep as like a pilot right you got it yeah so they liked it but at first it was rejected and shelved so they the the company bought it they reject they didn't want to put it out just yet and they shelved it until 1958 and that's when it was actually aired so 57 is when he wrote it and showed it to um, the television company. I think it was CBS. Um, they bought it and they shelved it. And in 1958 was when a whole year later, was it was when it was finally aired. 
And after it aired, it did really well, like you said. And it was supposed to be the pilot for the Twilight Zone. So they said, you know what, Sterling, go ahead. This is a great, great anthology series you got. And he called it the Twilight Zone. So here we go into the 59. So do you know who wrote many of the episodes of the Twilight Zone, especially the first season? Yes, I do. I do. Who was that? Uh, I believe it was Rod Serling himself. <laughs> you got it, man. Yeah, I actually... I think that in my research, I found, I think it was like out of 150 some episodes, he wrote like 94 of them, something mm-hmm. like that. He, he wrote most of them. Yeah, he was a he was an avid writer, and he he was. It's it's hard to not talk about. It's impossible to talk about the Twilight Zone without Serling being directly involved. Like he, the Twilight Zone is him, and he is the Twilight Zone. Um, right. He wrote many, 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 many of the episodes himself, and he is famous for introducing and closing each one. And this mm-hmm. is where you had just talked about, and <clears throat> maybe you can tell the audience a little more about how Serling would introduce uh, each episode. And it kind of blended that audio and that television, like radio and television together. Uh, yeah, so so I'm not an expert here, but from what I was finding researching on like some of the episode clips that I was able to see in and it was kind of and it gets this feel of of obviously Rod Serling's always on camera himself. And I heard rumors. I don't know if you heard this, Zach, but I heard that uh, he actually was kind of camera shy, didn't really love being on camera. Um, yeah, could he be- didn't want to do it originally. Okay. Okay. So, so that is, that is true, uh, which I think is interesting because as I kind of, I, I talked to, to somebody at work who was a big Twilight Zone fan, you know, like, like you mentioned, you know, Rod Serling is synonymous with the Twilight Zone. Couldn't imagine it any other way. Um, you know, uh, and you know, his iconic voice and, and he would introduce these stories and, and kind of and set the, set the tone, give you the, like the mysterious um, setting, you know, and, yep. and kind of lead you into what the conflict was going to be, the story you were going to hear. It was going to be, it was going to be strange. It was going to be different. Um, and and uh, I believe, I believe, wasn't he oftentimes smoking a cigarette while, yes. while introducing the Almost episodes? all the time. He would just be very 50s, very early 60s. Rod Serling would... <laughs> almost always be smoking a cigarette and introducing the background, the characters, the situation of the forthcoming episode. Yes. And so it kind of would introduce that look into the camera and, and there would kind of be this slow zoom into mm-hmm. him as, as you kind of built up the tension story was set. And then um, I, I don't know if he had a famous line. He always started each episode with or anything like that. Um, no, but- just, he would go with, all of his uh, monologues before the episode would start would end with you have entered the twilight zone or just beyond the twilight. zone." he would always end it with the twilight zone. And then you'd be launched into the, uh, the episode. Yeah. So Serling, he would introduce them all. Um, It is, it is a staple of the twilight zone to hear that, that voice. And he really had a voice for, like just giving monologue. Like he would have made mm-hmm. an excellent like 
radio host or a, a Gene Shepherd kind of person because he just yeah. he had that that smooth voice and he had just that way of talking that really drew you in. Um, and he was an excellent writer, so all of his monologues just immediately would catch you. Mm-hmm. And so, so he we we're into fifty nine. Um, basically it, from that point on, it was, it was kind of hit and miss at first people, they almost, they threatened to pull it after the first season or first series, because it just, it kind of had a cult following, but it Mm -hmm. just didn't really stick with the, the general population. Didn't, it wasn't like a, an, I love Lucy kind of uh show where just the general <laughs> population absolutely fell in love Lucy! with it. And, <laughs> and everyone would just want to see Lucy. The this was definitely for a more uh unique type of watcher, um, which right. I was certainly one of them. And so the series ran on and off air since 59. Um and Jordan Peele is the most recent one to take the helm of of the twilight zone. So it got, I can't remember the exact date that, or the exact year that twilight zone ended completely ended. But, um, I know in 2019, Jordan Peele wanted to resurrect the series and, uh, bring a new modern 21st century spin to it, but still have the same elements of a twilight zone episode, which we'll discuss here in just a second of what makes a twilight zone episode a twilight zone episode. Um, but since 59 twilight zone has had multiple seasons. It had one movie, which was controversial, which I'll get to in a second and a television film. So the movie, which I, I was reading about, I hadn't heard about it. Cause I first was like, Oh man, a twilight zone movie that would not work like an hour and a half, two hour movie. That's just like twilight zone thrives because they're 20, 15, 20, 30 minute episodes. They're just quick. Mm-hmm. They get it in, they get out, they do their job. Anything longer, it would just be dragging. So yeah. the reason why this movie was controversial was not because of the actual movie, but because of the filming of the movie. Um, apparently there was a helicopter crash during the filming of this movie, which killed a pretty famous actor. I can't remember his name at the time, but it, the more controversial part of it was it killed two of the child actors in the plane or in the oh, helicopter geez. crash. Yeah, terrible stuff. Um, but what was even worse for the movie and the producers was the fact that the child actors were signed on to the movie illegally. So not only did they crash a helicopter and kill a bunch of people, but the children on board were also not technically supposed to be signed on for this movie because they were mm-hmm. underage. So that was not good. It's still released and got okay views, but that was kind of the big spin of it back then. The big, the big hubbub was the, uh, the, the helicopter crash. So the twilight zone is not without its, its blemishes, but it is well loved by many, many people. Now um, it is also a, a series where, many famous writers and actors and directors got their start on the twilight zone. Do you know some of them? I can see what's on your list here, but okay. uh, I'll have you go ahead and share them. I'll have you go ahead and Were share you, them. Did you, for any of these that you saw, did any of them, 
did you know that any of them or are you surprised by any of them? Um, in my research, I had heard of uh, Bradbury's work being mm-hmm. on there. Um, and then I believe, yeah, um, Robert Redford as well. Yeah. Yeah, there's some pretty some big-time people that worked for the Twilight Zone. Richard Matheson um, of I Am Legend acclaim, he was a, a big like an integral writer, the first two series. Um, he really worked a lot with okay. Rod Serling. Um, so yeah, like as you mentioned, Ray Bradbury, Fahrenheit 451, he was a writer. He wrote, I think he had an honorary one that he wrote for one of the series. Um, Robert Duvall, the actor from Apocalypse Now, the guy who goes, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. <laughs> he is. He was an actor on The Twilight Zone. Robert Redford, as you mentioned, um, from the sting or, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid, uh, all the president's horses. I think that's the name of it. I, you know who Robert Redford is. Um, mm-hmm. Ron Howard, which this surprised me. And then I remembered which episode he was in. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I cannot believe that was Ron Howard. But Ron Howard, as I mentioned, or I said earlier that my, one of my favorite comedies is arrested development. Well, he's the writer of Arrested, of Arrested Development. Ron Howard is? Ron Howard is, yeah. And he was an actor in one of my favorite Twilight Zone episodes. So that was like, whoa, crazy. Wow. Yeah. You know, I thought, I find it so interesting, like, how many, how much crossover there is between, like, science fiction and, and comedy. Jordan Peele is doing The Twilight Zone now. Oh, I know. Ron Ron Howard wrote Arrested Development. I love. See, that's the thing that's really cool about the film world and the in the TV world is you can genre hop a little bit more. But in like the writing world, it's it's hard to genre hop. And maybe going forward, it won't be as hard. Uh, And maybe you know, being independently published versus traditionally published matters too. But man, like Mm. it's hard to genre hop in. in in the writing world or at least at least that's what writers say (laughs) you know and i um, think it's because you build i think publishers want to see a writer build a brand around mm -hmm. a genre and it's easier for them to sell that because at least audience because you're not seeing them on television you're not seeing them like in the media all the times i mean name any writer that's on twitter all the time or like right in headlines like there's no writers nobody it's it's all actors and directors and Mm. uh, musicians they're all in the the limelight all the time where writers it's like okay if we're gonna have you write a book once maybe twice a year we gotta nail down a genre and a brand for you and so i think over time you can genre hop like a stephen king or a a patterson a dean coons like they can kind Mm. of go back and forth between genres but i think for writers generally it's like okay i gotta pick something i like because that's what i'm probably gonna be writing in for a a long long time yeah so and then the last one i want to mention on here for famous actors directors writers of the twilight zone is william shatner i had to had to put him up there if you don't know who william shatner is then i am i'm very sorry (laughs) he was in star wars right yeah, yeah. <laughs> all, all those Trekkies out there are going to be sharpening their pitchforks here. 
<laughs> Star Wars, the real fantasy series. Oh, he said it, <laughs> not me. <laughs> and I didn't even say it right. I said fantasy, not sci-fi. <laughs> oh man, I'm, I'm disassociating with you. <laughs> yeah, I am. I am like I am nowhere near a Trekkie. In fact, I I didn't know until recently that it's it's like not cool to like the Star Trek new movies like it's not cool to like those <laughs> yeah. at all dude and you gotta uh, like the old old star <laughs> trek shows that are just like kind of hard to get through <laughs> I, I am of the opinion that uh star trek and uh into the darkness were rather entertaining but, <laughs> but then again what do i know i don't know i'm just a guy who <laughs> you know lives what do i know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i yeah We'll we'll leave it at that for for young William or old William Shatner I guess he is now. Um, so anyway, so that's a little bit of the history. I know it was a little jumbled, but it was it kind of had it was it was like a, a a rising star. It just like it had its moment and then it was gone and then it would come back and then it goes away again. So yeah, but it always 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 it's been in the science fiction world as kind of a pillar of science fiction and storytelling especially storytelling it's Mm -hmm. it's inspired a lot of writers and a lot of directors to pursue their dream of of writing and creating because of its storytelling and rod serling had a a talent a he was a master of of storytelling and so as we get into our plot synopsis here i'm not really going to go into a bunch of episodes because they all kind of are structured around the same sort of, of, of storytelling devices, but it's twilight zone as a whole is an anthology series. So none of the stories really relate to each other. It's just a bunch of stories. Um, but it's an anthology series that usually deals in the world of science fiction where characters find themselves in weird, unusual situations. And, most of the time the the episodes would end with like a surprise ending and a moral. So you're guaranteed to get nice characters that have a normal world. They're thrown into the abnormal and weird things happen. And then at the very end, there's going to be a twist. So you can always expect that in a twilight zone episode. Um, And like I mentioned before, Serling was a master of the art of ironic fate and poetic justice. Uh, critics, Time Magazine, all the all the big people of the time were like, this guy, he is great at writing irony and he's great at writing poetic justice. Um, just characters will want something and they'll get it, but it's not really the way they wanted it. Or they, they're given to it and it kind of ends them in a way. So uh, he, he was very good at that. Um, it would be satisfying. It was usually a satisfying ending, but it, it kind of would turn your stomach a little bit. Cause you're like, Oh yeah, that's, that's definitely what should have happened. But, uh, that's tough. That's a tough pill to swallow. Um, yeah. an example of this, like kind of ironic fate, um, is one of my favorite episodes, which I think is, I love showing this episode. If anyone ever asked me, Hey, what episode should I start with with the Twilight Zone? This is the one I always give them. Um, it's called Time Enough at Last. And it's a great it's a simple story with a great twist, very easy to follow. Um, the moral's pretty obvious in it. 
Uh, it's a story about a man who works for a bank and he wants nothing more than just to sit at home and read. He loves reading. And Cody and you and I can kind of relate to this. Like we love mm-hmm. stories. We love reading. There's some days we're like, man, I don't want to go to work. I just want to just sit <laughs> at home and read. I just want to finish this book or start a new yeah. book. And so this guy loves reading newspapers, books, articles, anything. And he wears these huge, thick square glasses. And so he works at a bank. And one day he go he's he needs to go to the vault, the bank vault, and he goes inside and the vault closes and locks him in. And as he ends as he's in there, he hears all this ruckus and these like explosions and everything's moving. And when he opens the, the vault, after all this has happened, he comes out and the world is completely destroyed. He's survived a nuclear explosion. And so He's like, great, there are no people around now. This is actually in my favor because all I've wanted to do is read. I just wanted to read. And throughout the episode, people were just distracting me. My wife's nagging me. And my people at work are telling me, stop reading. I got to go work. And so he's like, finally, there's time to read. And so he gets all these books stacked up and they're all around him. He's like, this is great. Like, I'm finally going to sit down and read everything I've wanted to read. I have all the time in the world because there's nothing to stop me. And at that moment, his glasses fall off his face. And as he's searching for them, you hear crunch. And he lifts them up (laughs) to his face. And the glass just kind of falls away from the frame. And he's unable to read because he's pretty much blind without his glasses. And so that's how the episode ends. And it's, a, I know I kind of just told all of it, but it's, it's a great way of showing you and telling you what a Twilight Zone episode is going to be. It's going to have a yeah. twist ending, an ironic ending. It's going to have a character. In this case, you kind of care about him, but he's, he's kind of a stuffy guy. Um, he's not really nice to people, but you're kind of like, well, he just wants to read. Just let the guy read. And so then at the end, he's unable to read. Um, so that's, that's kind of what you get with a plot synopsis with any twilight zone episode. Did you, I know you said that like this, you're kind of learning all this and I feel like I've been talking a lot in this episode. Um, but did you have a chance to watch or do you remember watching or seeing any twilight zone episodes that really stuck out to you? I, I did not uh, get a chance to watch any recently. I know that I have seen, seen them before, but I would have been quite a bit younger. Um, but, like it's it's interesting to me uh and uh, for example like if someone's a a younger person out there maybe you've never seen the twilight zone you you're trying to wrap your head around what it looks like i'm going to i'm going to give this reference for you if you've ever seen men in black 2 if you've ever seen the movie men in black 2 the little history of the men in black video from the video store that they watch is is a rip off of a twilight zone episode um basically kind of yeah i forgot about that it it does like the whole like thing right but um no i didn't get a chance to but what i was gonna ask you um kind of in relation to this as as i was kind of like studying up and in time enough at last was one of the recommended episodes that came up in my stuff as well as the monsters are doing maple street seems to be a really famous one Mm. uh, that people love but um, 
why do you think, and, and you know, I've, I've aired my grievances with serialized television um, a couple times on this podcast and how I just struggled to get into it. But why do you think we don't do more anthologies um, for TV? Why do you, why do you think so? It's a good question, man, because I've, I, the anthologies that come out on Netflix, the few and far between, I generally enjoy. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure if it costs more to do anthologies because you got to hire the, a new director and you got to hire new actors and you have to have a new set for every single episode where for a, a long-standing series, you have the same directors, same actors. Your set might change, but everything's generally the same, like core-wise. So I think people, and maybe people just don't enjoy it. We're in a binge culture now. So like mm-hmm. watching the Twilight Zone, I don't, I mean, I don't know when it came out. It might be weekly, but like for that, it, for that time period, having a series like this, and having it different every week, I think there was a huge appeal where now it's like, yeah, I could watch that, but I'd rather just watch all seven seasons of the Ozark or something and just stick with the same characters and watch a very long story told. Um, but I'm not sure if that's, that's a pro or con of anthologies. I'm a huge fan of them. Um, I'm a huge fan of them in literature as well. I love when authors have anthologies because i think the short and i it might be the fact that the short story is one of the hardest things to write both for writers and for um for directors and and for television i think just having a really succinct story that doesn't go beyond that episode it's like we have to get everything in there we have to make our point then and there i think is really difficult um but as to to why the audience or why people don't make more, I'm not I'm not entirely sure. I, it might be a cost thing, in my opinion. That's just it's more cost effective just to stick with the same people. But yeah, I I mean yeah. I could definitely be wrong. I'm not it I'm just, not sure. It, to me, it just seems like a really a really powerful way to tell a story. Like there is there's a value there's a value in not binging. Like there's a value of watching a show like. Say, for example, we went and watched A Time Enough at last. You sat, you watched it with your family or a friend or whatever. You just watched it, and then you turn off the TV and you talked about it. Like, there's a value in that. That, like, to have a story that begins and ends, and then it's something you can kind of discuss and process through, that modern television, it's all about the hook. It's all about the hook, right? Like, mm. you you're you need to watch next week and and i think that's probably why we do it more is to just kind of keep you in right Mm. and as far as netflix goes you're there anyway so the hook doesn't really matter quite as much but it's still all storytelling is is still kind of built around that you know getting you that cliffhanger at the end of every episode which you know i get it it's kind of like reading a book you know at the end of the chapter yeah you give a little tease of what's going next, but just everything does it now, you know, nothing. There's really very few anthologies. I mean, short stories are, I mean, in literature, we've already, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but they're just a very dying breed. Um, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think, 
And I think part of it too is because people don't want to pay for a short story. And if you're a writer, why would you spend your time writing short stories and for something people don't want to buy, you know? Right. Um, yeah. You got to do which, all that work for, yeah. Which is fine, right? You should create to love to create, but you know, you got to eat too. Um, exactly. And, and so I just, I just find it interesting. And I was curious what your take is. I don't really have, I don't really have an answer, but it seems like when it's done right and when it's done well, it just, it's really, it's really successful. Like yeah. even I've been watching through the, uh, some of the wonder years to kind of maybe kind of as like research type of material. I'm very cautious whenever I approach anything for like research for projects I'm working on because I never want to be tempted to copy. So yeah. I kind of, I, I watch or read or listen very seldomly and selectively and always try and spend more time creating than studying. Mm. But, um, but even that show, even though it was serialized, every episode feels self-contained, right? Like I don't, I don't like there's value in watching episode one to 10, but you could watch episode five and still enjoy it. And I think there's something really nice about that. Like you get added value for knowing the characters over a long period of time. But I think there's also something nice about something being self-contained, you know, like, yeah. It's nice to know that, hey, I can enjoy something without having to invest five hours to catch up or 30 hours to catch up or 70 hours to catch up. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, but, I think that's the the way thing, sitting here thinking you say all that, like, I think that's the way so much of our television culture has gone is we've gone away from even like the office like just self-contained episodes. Yes, they link to each other, but you could you could watch any show, any episode of The Office, and maybe you won't get some of the jokes because it might be referencing to another episode, but you 90% of it, you're going to be like, okay, I got that. That was funny. That I enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. Where Yeah, I I started watching The Office the season that Pam and Jim got married, and I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Yeah, because you know? they're self-contained episodes and i think even that and that wasn't that long ago that really wasn't that long ago but now i from what i see on netflix i see so many shows where it's you have to be invested from episode one because if you see any other episode you're going to be lost and by the way this series is going to take 15 hours of your life and then we're going to have a season two and i think what the twilight zone had going for it and what made it so good was that every episode was like a self-contained movie it had a beginning it had a rising action a climax falling action and a resolution and it, you didn't have to tune in two weeks prior in order to know what's going on in the next week because they were all self-contained and i don't I, every show I watch right now is not self-contained. It's all building upon the previous episode. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure what that says about our culture or our, our television culture and our consuming of, of media and stories. Um, it definitely makes writers more money because they're hired on for 
multiple episodes and multiple seasons, which is as a writer, that's, that's amazing. That's the, that's the dream right there. It's like, okay, I have a steady, I have a steady job finally for at least a year. And I think for a lot of these writers, I mean, I know Serling did a lot of the writing, but I think for the writers and directors that he had on, it's just like, okay, that's one episode. If you're good, we'll bring it back maybe for another episode later on. But like, I don't know. I, I think there's security in, in the long, the longer episode episodic seasons that we have now, but I don't know, man. I, I, the twilight zone just, it hit me at a time and in a way that I'm like, Ooh, it was so good. It was just so good. And I think it's because a lot of the episodes had that, that moral element to it. And it just, it was often, sometimes it was a little obscure, but a lot of times it was, it was, it was done well enough that you understood it and it, but it wasn't shoved in your face. It wasn't like, this is what you should not do because this, these bad things happen. It was watch this character and you'll learn something at the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I'm going to do here, I'm going to this weekend, I'm going to pick a couple episodes from the recommended list you have here <laughs> and I'm going to watch them. Cause I just, I just did a little check. It is available on Netflix uh, for some reason or another, they have seasons one, two, three, and five. I don't know what happened to season four, but hopefully, hopefully, all these ones are on here. Uh, we, I, I'll at least be able to watch Time Enough at Last and the Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. I found those for sure. Yeah, um, those are great. Yeah, I'm gonna watch them, and I will, I will report back. I'm very excited about this um, because I do. I love, I love self-contained stories, and for me, what's very powerful is it's very powerful when a story is able to make you, especially if it's like an anthology, a collection of short stories, or maybe like an anthological show, right? Mm. And it's very powerful, like for me, we'll just use a short story, like an anthology book, for example. It's very powerful when a story makes me just want to close the book and sit there for a couple minutes. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it sounds like that's kind of the kind of like the effect that Twilight Zone had on you. And probably many of the viewers like, oh, wow, that should really make me think, you know, especially yeah. like growing up in the in the, you know, late 50s, 60s, where a lot of these political ideas were thrown in um, might have made you think about, OK, what might have been said here, you know, but yeah, no, it, it's it for someone who likes Ray Bradbury as much as you do in the Martian Chronicle and the Illustrated Man. I think this is going to be right up your alley because it blends that science fiction with like modern problems, or at least for the fifties. And even still today, there's, there's still problems like how Ray Bradbury would talk about race or war, but he would talk about it in a way where it's like, these people are going to Mars and they're going to have to deal with Martians. And you kind of got the point and the, the moral of it, but he did it in a fun, interesting way with science mm -hmm. fiction. And you see that a lot. One of my favorite episodes, I mean, my absolute favorite is the monsters are due on Maple street. And I don't want to ruin that one for you, but I'll just say it's literally the best one. It is okay. something happens in a town where the town slowly starts turning against itself. And the twist at the end is awesome. So the okay. monsters are due on Maple Street is 
in my opinion, the best one. But one thing, one of them that I have on my recommended list here is Where Is Everybody? The episode Where Is Everybody? It is a common theme, a reoccurring theme in the Twilight Zone is this idea of being isolated or alone on Earth or in a city or in a town and having to deal with it. Um, there are many, 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 many episodes in the Twilight Zone that deal with this where the writer wants to isolate a character and introduce some weird things and they have to deal with it. And where mm-hmm. is everybody's great because it's about a guy who wakes up in this town and he like there he just starts going around but there's signs around town where it's like well people have recently been here like at one point he finds like a smoking cigar still like on an ashtray and he there's a jukebox playing in one store and so he's trying to figure out but as he's trying to figure out what's going on he's kind of slowly going crazy because he's the only person in town but it's a really common theme um after hours this one i kind of want to tell the whole story because it made me terrified of of mannequins i hated (laughs) going into department stores after watching this episode because i watched it when i was young and we're gonna get to first impressions here in just one second i'll tell this one then we go to first impressions um but so after hours is about this lady who is in a in a mall in a store and she goes up to the ninth floor. She takes an elevator to the ninth floor. And while she's on the ninth floor, she's looking for something to buy. And she finds this like golden thimble. And she goes to the, the, the store clerk and the lady is she's, so the main character is kind of annoyed at this point because, uh, the, the elevator operator, um, said something rude to her on her way out of the elevator. And then she finds this thimble and it has a scratch on it. And so she doesn't really want to pay full price for it. And so she's like kind of talking to this lady and she ends up buying it. And so she goes back down the elevator and she kind of gets upset going back down the elevator that the thimble is, is like damaged. So she wants to go and tell uh, like the, the owner of the department store, or one of the managers like, Hey, I want this, like reduced in price or refunded or whatever. And so she tells the manager, Hey, this is what I want. And he goes, there's no ninth floor. What are you talking about? And so he shows her like, there is no ninth floor, all this stuff. And so she ends up seeing a lady, uh, from behind that she thinks is the lady from the ninth floor that she bought this thimble from. And so when she goes over to the lady, she turns her around and it's a mannequin. And so she's so mm. stunned by all of this, she faints because it's the 50s and everybody faints. And so <laughs> it was a way to move the story along back then. So she faints. <clears throat> she wakes up in this like office area and she finds out that the store is closed. So she's trapped inside. And so she makes her way. She goes to the elevator again. She goes back up to the ninth floor. And when she gets up there, it's all mannequins up there. And then... They're like, she's starting to get a little creeped out because things are moving, she thinks, and she thinks she sees stuff moving in the darkness. And she ends up running into the elevator operator on the ninth floor, who is a mannequin. And she also runs into the other lady who sold her the thimble. She's also a mannequin. And it's super creepy. I hate, I just hate 
this episode because they got these weird smiles and there's just it's so unnerving. And so she finds out that she's actually a mannequin, this main lady. She's actually a mannequin. And once a month for 30 days, they have this deal where they're allowed to go out into the human world and become human for 30 days. But this lady had been out in the human world for so long, she forgot what she was. Now that she's back, another mannequin can finally go out into the human world and experience what it's like to be human. And the episode ends with uh, someone asking her, like, well, what was it like to be human? And she was like, oh, it's so very fun. So very fun. And that's just kind of how it ends. And uh. it was a it was a crazy twist, but it's just like the mannequins... I hated mannequins after that. I still kind of don't like being around them, but just the yeah. the episode really affected me in a way that like, even to this day, I'm like, Ugh, I can't watch it without kind of getting a, like a tingle down my spine of seeing <laughs> mannequins. But um, yeah. So my impression, I mean, if you couldn't tell already throughout this episode, I loved the twilight zone. It was first introduced to me by my dad. Um, I watched it over and over and over again with him. Like when I was, I can't remember how young I was probably around 10 or 11 when I first started watching this with him. I just remember it being on all the time around Halloween and they would run marathons and stuff on, on television. And my dad and I would just binge the shows. We would watch them all like as many as we can until I would fall asleep and he'd take me up to bed. We would just watch and watch and watch. Um, but it made me fall in love with film and science fiction. I loved how they were filmed. They're always black and white. So for those of you out there who've never watched the twilight zone, they're always going to be in black and white, except that I think the newer ones after a certain, I think 64, maybe the when they brought it back in the seventies or eighties, they, I mean, they were going to be in color, but the original mm -hmm. ones always black and white. It had that charm to it. Um, but it made me fall in love with film and science fiction because it did such a great job of the medium, taking the medium of film and kind of breaking that fourth wall with Rod Serling at the beginning, talking directly to the camera. It kind of introduced you to it. And I love that element of it, but then it would take you through a story that just was like, it would hook you right away because right away, something weird's happening. And you're just like, you're into it. And you could see that that's the pulp fiction, that pulp stories coming out with, with Serling is these immediate hooks. And then you're like, oh gosh, okay, this is weird. What's going on? And I remember I wanted to write stories like him, like with twist endings and strange worlds. I just wanted to write crazy twist stories. And then later in life when I read Ray Bradbury, and he would do kind of the same thing too. He would have some twist endings and he would have these mm -hmm. really strange worlds I love, I just like, I always latch onto those stories because usually with the twist endings, they're telling you a moral. They're telling you kind of some, yeah. some way of being. And I always, I really enjoyed that because to me, it just like that's, that sticks, that twist ending really sticks in your brain. Yeah. Um, and it showed me that and watching twilight zone showed me that stories could have like a deeper meaning than just action because mm -hmm. there's not much action in Twilight Zone stories, to be honest. There's a lot of dialogue. It's a lot of talking. It's a lot of characters just figuring stuff out. Um, there's not much shooting or explosions. I mean, there's rarely any of that. Um, but it's a lot of characters being put in weird situations. And to me, it was like, this, this is better sometimes than action because these were more hard-hitting. 
and at times timeless, like the, the morals and the, the messages behind the twilight zone episodes were just timeless. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that my first impressions were just like, I love this. This is, and I, I'm sure when you watch it this weekend, Cody, you're going to enjoy it because you like Ray Bradbury. And I think Ray Bradbury was influenced somewhat by twilight zone. Yeah. And you know, I'm so I'm surprised I haven't seen more of the twilight zone. Here's why. Like my dad and dad, if you're listening to this, um, you, you can let me know. I'll reach out to you. Uh, I, I didn't, I don't remember my dad being a twilight zone fan. However, my dad was a huge fan of, of like B monster movies. Like I am, I am up to date on all my knowledge on like the <laughs> universal monster movies, man. Uh, Dracula, Wolfman, Frankenstein. I know those movies as well as I know, you know, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Um, because my dad loved that type of stuff and he was a huge fan of King Kong. My dad really liked science fiction, uh, especially like B movies. And I feel like not to consider like Twilight Zone in the same place as B movies, but I mean, it is. It's kind of like mm-hmm. it was a. It was an early experiment in a different type of genre that that wasn't necessarily mainstream. I mean, Twilight Zone is what made science fiction acceptable for the screen. You know, like yeah, you know, sci-fi wasn't happening on TV outside of like kids' shows before Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, that's that's pretty groundbreaking when you think about it because now science fiction dominates blockbusters. You know, science fiction fantasy. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Um, so yeah. that's pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, I'll have to, t- I'll have to check with my dad to see if he was a twilight zone guy or not. Hmm. He's not, he's not as much of a sci-fi guy, but it just feels like it'd be something that'd be within his realm. Yeah. Uh, so I'll have to, I'll have to ch- touch base with dad on that one. What's interesting about twilight zone too, is that it is sometimes labeled under horror, which it has some elements of that at times. Um, but I always thought that was kind of a mislabel. I never, it was never horrific. It was never like scary or, um, it didn't really deal with monsters all that Mm -hmm. much. It was, if there was a monster, it was usually a person. So it just, which I guess horror can be that, but it was, it just didn't in the truest sense, didn't really deal with horror. Um, but maybe because like some, because of it having, unsettling conclusions maybe yeah you kind of could be that that, like because sci-fi or in a way twilight zone episodes don't like with their many of their endings are not nice endings i'll say they're a lot of them are that jarring twist ending where it doesn't really end well for the main characters but for you as the as the watcher, you're like, "Ooh, I'm glad I'm I'm just watching this." And then Rod Serling's yeah. voice comes in and kind of tells you the the moral or the the rest of the story kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's always so every year around New Year's, there's always a sci- like Sci Fi Channel shows a Twilight Zone marathon for like 48 hours, and it's always one of my favorite times of the year because I watch as many as I can, <clears throat> and I usually yeah. end up loving the same ones that I've always loved. And there's it's, every now and then there'll be a new one that I see and I, it's not new to me, but I'll see it again and I'll think, Oh man, that's, that's a, that's a good one. I'll, that one, that's one's moving up on my list here because there's, there's a ton of them, 150 of them or whatever. So 
there's a lot to get through and they're not all amazing. There's some duds in there or some weird ones that end and you're like, eh, all right. Um, especially since, okay. So since you have season one, two, three, and five on Netflix, I'll say season five is probably <clears throat> the later ones are a little rougher to get through. Okay. Mainly they're not bad. It's just, you could tell by that time Serling was overwriting. He was getting to a point yeah. where he even admitted, I think I read where he was like, I was, I didn't even know what was good. What was bad. I just was writing. And mm-hmm. at the beginning, you can tell like season one episode or series. The first series is just top notch. Like 95% of them are just, they're bangers, man. They're just, Oh man. Every single one by series five. You're like, huh? All right. I can, there's a few gems in here. Yeah. So just be ready for that. Um, they do <laughs> kind of decline over the years. Um, yeah. But that's I mean, just because, I mean, Sterling's writing n- most of them. Dude, it's tough, man. I mean, like, I'm trying to I'm trying to do a weekly podcast now, doing a 25 minute story every week. It's tough. Yeah, you get <laughs> you get burnt tough. out. You get the creative juices. Eventually, they well up a little bit, and you gotta. Yeah. We talked about it last week. What kind of gets our creative juices going? And I mean, yeah. if you're writing a hundred episodes out of 150, it's just like, yeah, whew, that's it's a lot. And they're they're full length television episodes too. I mean, screenwriting too is is a very it's a different beast too. Mm-hmm. It's it's different. It's different than writing a, a short story or a book. It's it's just different. Yeah, um, you you know all about that. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> So the lasting appeal for me, um, I think every film student and every writer should watch The Twilight Zone simply for story structure and how to write themes and motifs into story. And it can be done at the 15, 20 minute time frame level. Like you don't need a big novel. Like you don't need a, a, a great Gatsby in order to explore a theme. You can do it in... 20 minutes on a twilight episode Mm -hmm. episode um so i think every film student every writer if you want to be a writer if you are a writer study 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 the twilight zone because it's those are great stories to to have in your your repertoire or at least to to draw in inspiration from Mm -hmm. um and it's it's what inspired me to write honestly um seeing those episodes is yeah, I fell in love with writing and wanting to write stories like that. So for me, right. it's, it's why I do what I do now. It's why I'm talking to you right now on, on our podcast is because Twilight Zone inspired me to be a creative. All right. Thank you, Rod Serling. Yes. The man, the myth and the cigarette. The man. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and it, I, you know, I'm really excited to check it out. It seems like it should be something that if you, if you're one of our listeners and you've made it to this point, I, I, I think that we should all check it out, right? Like let's, let's, let's look at our classics and, and look at maybe a, uh, a very influential piece of, of television. And like, I, I think it's good to look back on the classics. It's good to, to pay attention to what's coming out now, but, um, you know, we, we are living in a time where, you know, I, I think, 
I don't want to say this, and and we we're saying this as independents as well, which is kind of funny. But the market's getting really oversaturated with a lot of things, mm. and I feel like there is a rush to create, to be the first to have a creative piece about a certain political social topic, and and quality's going down. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but it sounds like it sounds like this was kind of a anomaly for its time, and still kind of is a long-standing, unique um, series. Yeah. Still, I mean, as of 2019, as of last year, still trying to bring it back. I didn't. I haven't heard much about the the reboot of it. I've heard mixed things from what I have even heard, what little I've heard. So, um, but you still got the classics, man. You still got seasons one through five that deliver that Twilight Zone punch. Nice. All righty. I will be sure to check it out. Zach, is there any last things you want to say about Twilight Zone? Um, I feel like I've said, I've talked a lot this episode. I think I've said all I wanted to say. All right. All right. Well, very good. Very good. Uh, just quickly before we leave here, I guess we'll share some other things we have been enjoying. Uh, I just recently watched a movie that uh, I didn't like very much. Uh, it was on Netflix. It was called Project Power. And uh, okay. it was a movie about pills that give you superpowers. And it was not very good. And so <laughs> if you're thinking about watching something on Netflix this weekend, watch The Twilight Zone and not Project Power. I mean, it's kind of one of those things where this is kind of where my thought process was going too with how I think quality is just kind of going down. I mean, the movie had Jamie Foxx and Joseph Gordon-Levitt, both guys who I think are fantastic actors. They're fantastic actors. And so I was excited to watch this movie because I was like, wow, they got Joseph Gordon-Levitt to to be in a movie he's very selective in the movies that he's in these days because he's trying yeah. to do more um fit, you know director type of stuff and he's really his his uh non-profit organization press record is really cool um actually i don't know if it's a non-profit it might just be his own company but press record is a cool company um and and so when he was in it's like oh man i really want to watch this and i was su- like super disappointed man and maybe it's like <laughs> Maybe like superhero and superpower fatigue is just settled in with all of us, but it yeah. just to me, I was like, ah, man, this is just like it feels like a made-for-TV movie, you know? Like that's how it felt. I think you're. I think you're absolutely right with fatigue. From I mean, we just came through ten years of Marvel movies. I think we're just, and you got like uh, what the umbrella corporation or whatever that's on netflix that's also about superheroes yeah Haas is watching that as we record we keep having yeah i mean we keep having these x-men movies coming out it's just like oh my gosh so i i'm definitely tapped out of superhero anything for right now (laughs) i don't even know if i'm going to do 10 more years of marvel man i i got my fill yeah yeah for sure i i um yeah, I've been very selective with what I'm watching these days. I'm just I'm, I'm just way more into to reading. Um like mm-hmm. if I've got time, I'd rather take that if I got 2 hours to sit down and do something, I'd rather you know maybe read a book for an hour or so and then just hang out with my wife, have a cup of coffee, talk. Um or yeah. you know, play a little video game. Uh, 
just recently started playing Grand Theft Auto Five for the first time. About oh, about, dude, so good. About seven years late to the party, but That's oh my right. goodness, the story to that game is hilarious. Dude, it is ridiculous, man. It is like it is a very in- inappropriate like Absolutely. universe, but the social commentary on the state of the United States is incredible <laughs> right. for for any piece of media, but especially for a video game. Like the writing in Rockstar's games to me is like does nobody else notice that this is like some of the best writing and acting? Oh, it's hilarious, just, man. Just like period, not even like for a video game, but period. But um, yeah, that's just one man's opinion. Uh, so anyway, I uh, I'll I'll tell you why off the mics why I started playing the game, but I'm not gonna tell the audience. Okay. <laughs> for me, man, I've been reading. Uh, so I started reading this book. I found it on uh kindle unlimited and as i said earlier i'm a huge fan of like pulp fiction pulp novels pulp stories and so i i scour the the freebies on kindle unlimited because i have it and there it's a lot of junk out there man but sometimes sometimes i hit a gold mine and so i started reading galaxy's edge legionnaire and it's this like military science fiction novel, but it is awesome. It is a novel that isn't so much. I mean, it has a lot of the military style in it, but it's not so heavy on military jargon and uh, just storytelling that it just bogs it down. And it's just too hard to read. It, it's a, it's a nice blend that reminds me of like reading a Star Wars novel where it's like, we're not going to worry too much about the science behind this. We're just going to tell a cool story with a lot of fighting. And so it's got cool characters, a cool universe. It's huge. The novels, there's like 10 novels out and it's, it's this indie author. So a lot of times Kindle Unlimited is like, it, it represents indie authors and uh, small time businesses. But this one, man, I hit a gold mine. I I love nice. it. I think the the covers are sweet. They're super professional. They're really really cool. Um, but yeah, this is, it's by two guys, Jason Anspach and Nick Cole. They're they're a great duo. I think one of them's a writer, and one of them's like a soldier who or former former soldier who was a uh, like working as an actor or something right now, but. This book's good so far, man. I'm enjoying it. Nice. I'm also still reading that that Dracula one, the historian. It's a huge novel, though. It's like 700 pages, so it's going to take me a while to get through. Galaxy's Edge, the Legionnaire. Yes, not the Star yeah. Wars, not the Star Wars area at Disney. This is a book. Because <laughs> every time I looked up Galaxy's Edge on Google, it kept taking me to like the Star Wars exhibit. I'm like, no, not that. Uh, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> But it's good stuff, man. Good stuff. All right. Awesome. Well, hey, let's spin out of here. Thank you so much for listening. If you guys get a second, please head over to steellakestudio.com. See more of what we have going on there. And if you haven't had enough 
of our voices. You can also listen to the past episodes of Parallel Quest. Catch up. I highly encourage you. If there are episodes on there and it's a work or an intellectual property that you don't know, I would say that some of our best episodes are actually the ones that revolve around intellectual properties that aren't as popular. I'm thinking of, in particularly, uh, Zach's favorite uh, story, The Phantom Tollbooth, I think yes. is one of our better episodes. We really like that one and uh, would encourage anybody to check it out. Also, if you just at that point, you're just like, you can't get enough. The Haggard Odyssey. I got a solo podcast where I tell stories about ridiculous life experiences of what it was like growing up in Ohio in the late 90s and early 2000s. It's autobiographical fiction. So uh, tall tale stories, uh, a lot of fiction interjected with my autobiographical experiences and mm. life lessons. So that's that's it. That's the pitch. Thank Check you guys so much for listening to Parallel Quest. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Parallel Quest. You are the best for making it all the way to the end. Please be sure to head over to our website, steellakestudio.com. Get involved in our email list. And if you're curious about how to support us, you can head over to patreon.com slash Studio. Thank you, Jake Butler, for providing our bumper music. And we'll see you next time on Parallel Quest.